Well, thank you for coming. Even though you knew I was going to be preaching, thank you for coming. And um, if you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 13 for our main reading, and we'll just be reading just a couple of verses here and then moving on from there. This is just, a, just to start us off, just a thought from this passage, and then we'll be going to other verses from there. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, I'll be reading verses 5 through to 7. Starting there in verse 5, Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates. But I trust that ye shall know that we are not reprobates. Now I pray to God that ye do no evil, not that we should appear approved, but that we should do that which is honest, though we be as reprobates. Let's just open with a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for the word that you've given us, Lord, and we thank you that we can come here tonight without persecution and openly um, read your word and um, glean from it. And Lord, we just pray later as we pray as well that we'd um, be thinking of those that um, need our prayer, Lord, the, those who are unwell. And Lord, we just um, pray that uh, as I speak, Lord, that you would uh, speak through me and it wouldn't be my thoughts or words. In one of them, precious name, amen. So I wanted to look at tonight, or based tonight, around examining yourselves. Um, when we think of facing an exam, most times um, no one really enjoys it. I actually didn't really enjoy the exam. that I, The first time I did the exam on, uh, in Sunday school this past weekend, uh, I'd been teaching in Sunday school over there, so it was the first time I got to sit down and listen to Tony and then do that little exam at the end. And I thought, oh, well, I'm not, I don't really like exams, but I started off, I got it, I thought, oh, that's not too bad, it's only small, and got through it pretty quick, and I thought, oh, what was everyone talking about? I was looking around and thinking, why is everyone taking so long? <laughs> Boy, they must, mustn't have listened like I did, but I thought I did pretty well. And then Tony said, five minutes left, and I sort of glanced over at Mel, and I went, no, oh, she got a different test than me. <laughs> I thought, oh, no, that's double, double-sided. So I went... Went through the rest of the exam really quickly and made lots of mistakes. But it's something that exams aren't something we like. We normally get nervous about them. The preparation for some happens a long time, some before. Sometimes it's the night before. That's what the sort of person I am. The night before sort of person. But none of us like that. But to, it's, it's an essential part to find out whether or not someone really knows and believes the content of what has been taught to them about the subject that they are being examined on. You have to know, it, it's, a, it's a test. Just as if you were a, a training pilot. If you were a training pilot, obviously it's pretty intensive. You have to have math skills, um, you have to know how to be able to, um, geology and a lot of different skills you have to put into that. And if you just went through and did all the, um, um, the non-practical side of it, the theory side of it, and then went straight through to Qantas, got a job, hopped in an Airbus and jumped in the pilot seat and then put over the announcement that thank you for joining Qantas for your flight um, and thank you for joining in my first flight that I've ever flown. Obviously it's not going to go down well, everyone's going to bail out pretty quickly. You want to know that the person knows what they're doing. They've actually been tried 
they've examined themselves. They've had examinations practically. They've actually taken a few flights before they've gone and um, started commercial flights straight away. So this is in a, in a, in a worldly sense that um, this has to be done. And in these verse here, verse uh, 5, Paul's saying to the Corinthian church, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith, prove your own selves, know ye not your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. He's urging them, you've got to examine yourself. No matter how long you've been in the faith, no matter how old of a Christian you have be- are, you need to examine yourself. This should be a daily thing. And in verse 6 and 7, he urges that they need to examine themselves, not that he could boast about them, not so they just do the outward appearance and fix that up, but they, that they themselves would know in their heart where they, whether they're going to heaven or not. Not just an outward change, not an, an outside correction, but it's to do with the inside, the, the spiritual side of it. So tonight I'm just going to go through a few different passages that help us examine whether we be in the faith. So if you can turn to Romans chapter 8 with me. And we'll be reading a, a, few, a few verses there, verses 5 to 17. And in this passage, we're, we need to ask ourselves, do we have the witness of the Holy Spirit? This is the first question on, on an exam. And there's many others that you could probably add to this, but examining ourselves whether we be in the faith, this is the first question. Do we have the witness of the Holy Spirit within ourselves? Verse 5, it says there, so Romans chapter 8, verse 5. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So here straight away, it contrasts the flesh and the Spirit. Are we working after the things of the flesh, dying daily to the flesh? If we are saved, we will seek after the things of the Holy Spirit, because he lives in us. We won't be seeking to please ourselves all the time, but seeking the things that the Holy Spirit wants us to do. We'll be convicted of the Holy Spirit to do that. In verse 6, it says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Uh, Sorry, the first part of that, for to be carnally minded is death. So here we have the contrast again. If we have the Holy Spirit, we'll have life. But if we don't, there is death. The unsaved person is dead spiritually, but alive physically. But the saved person is both alive spiritually and physically. So this is an evidence. This is something that we can see, whether or not we have the witness of the Holy Spirit. And continue on, so verse 6, the last part of verse 6 into verse 7. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So again, we have the two opposites. There's death and there's life. Sorry, there's the flesh, the spirit, the death, the life. And we are either at war with God or will be in peace with God if we have the Holy Spirit. If we are carnally minded or fleshly minded, we are at war with God. No matter what good deeds we do, it'll be like firing darts at God and what he has done for us on the cross. If we try to make our own way, it'll be like attacking him 
and saying that he wasn't good enough. And so, and we'll be covering that in the next point, so I shouldn't go too much on that. But if we're spiritually minded, so we'll be at war with God if we are in the flesh, but if we're spiritually minded, our deeds will be in service to God and an attack to the devil. Therefore, we will be at peace with God. So this is just something to, to see whether or not we, are, we have the Holy Spirit within us. In verse 8, as we go on, it says, So then that they that are in the flesh cannot please God. And we sort of covered this a little bit ago. So we're either pleasing ourselves or pleasing God. The unsaved person will always please himself no matter how hard he tries. And as I said before, even if they try to work their own way to heaven by doing good deeds, that means they have the, the, their own pride. They're serving themselves. They're pleasing themselves. They're going their own way to heaven, they think. And they are therefore sinning against God. In verse 9 and 10, I'll read those two verses. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that... If, if be... Sorry. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you, now if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. So here it asks the direct question, do we have the spirit? Is our old man dead and our new man made alive because the Holy Spirit dwells in us? We, can neither, we can't have the old man inside of us and the, and, the, and the new man, which is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The two should not be in the same vessel. In verse 11 it says, But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. So do, um, do we have the Holy Spirit's power or are we constantly striving by our own power? We are most privileged to have the Holy Spirit's power within us if we are saved, who is the same who is, which is the same power, we can see in that verse, verse 11 there, the same power, a mighty power, that was able to raise Jesus from the dead. That is a, a massive privilege that we can have in the church age here. The word here tells us that, the, that the, he, the Spirit, will quicken or give life to our mortal bodies if we truly are saved. And there's many a times that Christians do call on the Lord to help them physically uh, of many accounts of uh, missionaries when they're at their wits end their, their strength is gone they can't go on anymore and they pray to God for strength to the, and the Holy Spirit provides that and if we have true faith and the Holy Spirit is in us he will, it will be provided if we ask verses 12 and 13 therefore brethren we are debtors not in the flesh to live after the flesh for if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye, ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. This is a great promise here too. If we, if we have accepted the Holy Spirit, we are no longer in debt to the flesh. If we are saved, we are no longer in debt to the flesh, but Jesus has paid the debt on the cross. And what a... a a great hope and a picture that is to us and that's when we receive the Holy Spirit and I'll keep on reading in verses 14 to 17 for as many are uh, 
For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. So if we have received the Holy Spirit, we are heirs of God. What a great promise that is. We have gone from being debtors of sin, which is eternal punishment in hell, to heirs of God, which is eternal salvation, due to the Spirit's witness, as it says there in, in verse 16. So these are all indications whether or not we have the Holy Spirit, whether or not he indwells us. So that's the first question we could ask ourselves. We can turn us turn your Bibles now to First John, talking another question that we could ask ourselves. First John chapter three. And in this verses uh, verses fourteen to seventeen, the question we see here is do we love the brethren? So I'll start in verse 14 there. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. That's pretty straightforward. How hard is it for you to come to church and fellowship with Christians? Is it a chore that you have to do or is it a blessing to you? Do you go home bitter and angry, maybe because of the sermon or for, for some reason someone said something to you and you flared up? Or do you go home encouraged and happy no matter what the sermon was about? We will as Christians face times where we have to deal with what I've heard, prickly people. And Mel's reading a, a, a book that a Christian lady has written for other Christian ladies encouraging them. And she calls them prickly people. And I thought that was a pretty good example of sometimes we will fo- we'll face prickly people. They're hard to deal with. These people may be disabled people. Sometimes it's hard to approach them. Sometimes we don't even know they've got a um, disablement until we start talking to them. And then, then, then we need to adjust the way we talk to them. Maybe it's a person that has had in the past... Drug, um, drug use or alcohol use and it's affected them and we need to understand that we need to be able to come to their level and not judge them if they've made a profession of faith we need to be able to know how to deal with them maybe it's people just purely with different personalities or gifts um, this is one I seem to struggle with and, and I think I will struggle all, all the time is I'm, I like to work. I like to be doing things. If I'm not doing things, it, it frustrates me. And when I see people standing there talking, I think, what a waste of time. What are they doing? You know, why don't they work? Why don't they get in there? But for me, I've got to realise that they've got the gift of encouragement to other people. They've got the gift of talking and witnessing to people. I'm not too good on that side of things, but they are. And you need to be able to know how to talk and correspond and live with these people all Christians will need um, love and patience and time including yourself 
you may be the prickly person. So if you maybe you think, oh, I don't know prickly people, maybe you're it. But you just need to help help the situation and not don't don't be prickly. So do we love the brethren? In verse 15 there, back in uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 15, Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Okay, we're getting a bit more serious now. Are we holding on to grudges and letting them harbour bitterness and hatred in our lives? It tells us here that if we hate our brethren, we abide in death. We are not saved. If you constantly have issues with people, or maybe one person in the church you just cannot talk to, or you, you, when you talk to them you try override them or speak with authority, you need to really examine yourself. You really need to know that you are saved because the verse is very plain here. Whoever hateth his brother is a murderer and all murderers are going to help. Verse 16, we'll move on. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down whoop, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Another, another way we can love others. Would we lay down our life for our brethren, just as God has laid down his life for us? It's a, it's a challenge. Could you pick anyone in the church and say, I would die for that person if it came to it? Christ not only gave us the example of, of dying for us, but while we were yet sinners, while we were yet the enemy of God, that's when he died for us. And we can find that in Romans 5, 8, the first part or second part of that. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So what a great example it is. Uh, verse 17, But whosoever hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels, of compassion from him, how dwelt the love of God in him? So if there's a brother or sister in a physical need, are we going out of our way to provide that need? Even at a, even if it's at a cost to us, do we, do we go out? Do we actively f- look for ways we can help other people in the church or in other churches, the people that are saved? You may be thinking, well, I don't have many much uh, material goods i'm not rich i can't just liberally give out my money or time well what about prayer you can be praying for your brethren you can be praying for each one and and that's why we come here we pray for one another we pray for the needs we stay informed of the needs of others we care we don't just sort of go our own way worrying about our own selves So we've asked two questions here. Do we have the witness of the Holy Spirit? And do we love the brethren? The third one I want to look at, we just go up a few verses in 1 John chapter 3 to verses 8 and 9. We'll see here, do you practice righteousness? In verse 8, He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Do you or do I have habitual sin that we cannot shake off? In the verse there, he said, he that committeth. Um, 
if we're saved, unfortunately we do commit sin. But do we get that right? In the word there it says committeth. The E-T-H I've heard is, to, is, is in meaning to do it over and over again. We do it and oh, did that. But you don't actually ask for forgiveness and you don't move forward in your sanctification in your Christian walk. And then you do it again. And you do it again. And this sin rules your whole life. If this is the case, you're not saved. That's a very clear indication you're not saved. This is the reason the Son of God came and sacrificed his, love, his life for us that we might have victory over this sin. We can see that in the last part of the verse, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And we'll read verse 9 there. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. So, do we have habitual sin? Are we practicing righteousness in that area? Are we make, another one is, are we making excuses not to deal with our sin habit? Are we actively moving forward in sanctification? If you go over to Second uh, John, I just want to read a couple of verses here. Just in, in one section that we might, to de- in dealing with righteousness, in verses 8 to 11, and I'll read these out. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him God speed. For he that biddeth him God speed is partaker of his evil deeds. This one hit pretty close home to me. Sometimes it's, a, sometimes it's a hard thing to separate ourselves from the ones we love. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a close friend. But we need to practice righteousness. The word tells us that if someone who claims to be a Christian and abideth not, or does not follow, the true doctrine of Christ, that we don't have close fellowship with them anymore. There's a, there's a cut there. There's a definite separation. We definitely need to be a witness to that person, but making sure that there are no cl- close ties between us, between us because of that Christian, if that Christian does not see that there is a loss as a result of their sin, that is in their lives, they will not see their need to get right with the Lord and eventually with the brethren. And we can get trapped. I've, I've got trapped in this before. We think, oh, we just love everyone. If we just love them enough and show them that we care enough, they'll, get saved, they'll repent. But if they're, they're, they are still saying that they're a Christian and they're abiding in sin and not... Not in the doctrine of Christ. We need to cut that fellowship. This too applies to those who are unsaved. We don't need to do. We don't need to go out to their parties or events that they invite us to, where we know that sin will be. It might be drinking. It might be dirty jokes. It'll be everything that is um, wrong and evil and sinful. Um, and I've been caught in that one at work. You think. I'll, I'll just go to what they want me to go to just to be an encouragement to them and that they might see that I'm different. 
that can't be harmful. But if they're all they're going to do is drink and tell dirty jokes and sin, why, why have I, that's uh, just ruining my testimony. So we need to separate ourselves from them. Be a witness to them, but we don't need to um, have that close relationship with them. We can't because we should, we should have the Holy Spirit in us. And that this is part of practicing righteousness. Another part in those verses that we read in First uh, John three eight and nine it says, "Do we make allowances or look for or purpose to enjoy sinful pleasures?" We know that there is nothing hid from the face of God. He knows all, and He sees all. Do we plan, whether by accident or purpose, to have things on when there is church events or services? This is something that we need to examine ourselves. Is our main focus God and the furtherance of his word? Or is it, it's too cold tonight, I might stay at home. Is it, my family's got this birthday party on and it's on Sunday morning or Sunday night, I'll go to that because I want to be a good testimony to them. No. A good testimony will be going and saying, look, unfortunately I can't make it because that's when I have church. Maybe I could come before or after, but we need to be a testimony. So this could be by accident or it could be, could be on purpose. Maybe it's a device, your phone or a movie, movies or whatever it is that helps or tempts us to sin. Get rid of it. There's, you can still use your phone without having data on it. And I know this is probably more for the younger ones that... The phone is the biggest temptation facing them. They can access anything they want, from pornography to terrorist acts to um, any filth that their mind can think of. If they hear it in the world, they can look it up straight away on their phone. If that's an issue, get rid of the phone. Get a phone that you can only ring people on and text people on. You don't have to have that, that temptation sitting in your pocket Maybe it's a movie that's just questionable. Most of it's, 99% of it's good, but 1% is bad. Turn it off. You don't need to watch it. So do you practice righteousness? This is a hard one, and I'm not trying to preach to you. I've, most of these points I've come to because I've had to face this in my own life. Um, and I'm just speaking from what I've experienced. So we've had... Do we have the witness of the Holy Spirit? Do we love the brethren? And do we practice righteousness? And the last one I want to look at in 1 John chapter 2. So just back a page. I didn't start from the back and go forwards. I started from the back and went backwards. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. Verse 15 says there, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Pardon me. Um, and also a little bit of verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. So do we seek, or do we um, avoid selfish pleasures? Do we, do we seek selfish pleasures in life? The lust of the flesh and eyes. Is it all about what is easiest and most, most profitable for us in life? 
Is it... Um, and we know that TV, this is exactly what advertisement uses. This is what they like to... This is the button they like to push in your emotions. You need this. This is, this is easy for you. This will make your life easier. This will make you rich. Whatever it, This might make you lose 100 pounds. Whatever it is. It makes it look attractive to us. It's the lust of flesh and the eyes. And there's many other things that, that also entails, the lust of flesh and the eyes. But going on in verse 16, the last part of it. And the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Do we seek the pride of life? What is the pride of life? Well, it's knowledge, experience, education, self-achievement. You may be thinking, well, hang on, all those things are not bad, and they're not. These things in and of themselves are not sin, but what do we use them for? Is it bringing glory to God, or is it bringing glory to ourselves? In knowledge, do we like to just know things so that we can spout it to other people? Sometimes I, I find myself, you want to know, unfortunately, we want to know the latest about events that are happening even within the church. And sometimes it's only purely, not so we can pray for the person involved, but so that we can spout it to other people. And that's just so wicked. It's wrong. If we want to know about other people in the church and the events and struggles they're going through, it should only be so that we can pray for them. What about experiences? Do you like to experience things so you can puff yourself up and you say, I've done that, I've done this, I've been there? Is it education? Obviously, in and of itself, it's not a bad thing. Um, and I know that um, Pastor Jake or Dad has many times said we need to be educating our children so they can read and write so they can discern the Word of God. If they can't read and write themselves, they can't read, they can't read the Word of God for themselves. They will be lacking in understanding. They won't be able to grow spiritually. So it's not a bad thing in and of itself. But do we always seek to be educated just to further ourselves, Or do we get educated, more educated, to further God's glory and his word? What about self-achievement? Self-achievement, when I think of this one, I think of music. This is the big thing in music. Maybe you want to go up in your grades in music, you want to get good at whatever instrument you're practicing. Do you do that so you look good, so that you can go to a concert and play? Or do you use it so you can use that gift here at church? That should be the only thing you should use it for. Yes, you can get involved in, in different uh, orchestras and things to help your ability, but if that's the only reason you're going, there's no point. This is just a selfish pleasure that you're indulging in. So verse 17 of chapter 2 and the world passeth away in the lust thereof, but he that doth the will of God abideth forever. So there it sums up what all these pleasures, the selfish pleasures result in. All these things will pass away and benefit for nothing in our eternal state if we use them for ourselves. There's no point. It doesn't benefit our eternal state or God. So we've just these are just a few questions. Do we have the witness of the Holy Spirit? Um do we love the brethren? Do you practice righteousness? Do we avoid selfish pleasures? 
And there's many, many, many more that you could add to that. That's, this was just a few that I just wanted to jam in there tonight. But in conclusion, if you can turn to Matthew chapter 7, I'm going to read verses 21 to 23. It says there, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven, many will say to me that in that day, Lord, Lord, we have prophesied in thy name, and in thy name we have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. So why bother with all this examination, this self-examination, to prove whether we be in the faith? Well, here it is. We need, no, need to know 100% that we are saved and that we are on our way to heaven. Because at the end, when we are questioned by God, we need to know, was it all just a facade? Was it just a faith that was um, a profession of faith? Or was it in our heart? Dash says he wouldn't jump on a plane after a couple of uh, theory, theory exams. You need some practical practical exams as we as we said at the start you wouldn't jump into eternity without knowing a hundred percent where we would end up i just thought i'd bring that tonight a few thoughts for tonight